transcends the senses, while everything around me is ever-changing, ever-dying, there is a living power that is changeless, that holds all together, that creates, dissolves and recreates. I'm Michael Nagler. This is the Nonviolence Report for the last week of July 2023. And I'd like to start off with some personal or anyway local news. The Meta Center for Nonviolence is launching a school of nonviolence. This will be a two-year immersive mentorship. It's free of charge and it's going to be based on courses uh, as the roadmap model and other resources that we have developed over the years at the Meta Center in collaboration with some sister organizations. So you can find it at schoolofnonviolence.org. Now, one of those organizations that we like to talk about and highlight and work with is called Nonviolent Peace Force. They do what is now called unarmed civilian peacekeeping in conflict zones around the world. Extremely courageous work where nonviolence is brought into the arena of international conflict. And so uh, in the Sudan, of course, they were shocked, as everyone was, by the conflict that erupted between two generals. No one was trained in the most essential service that they needed to offer, which was psychological counseling. And sure enough, NP swung into action and they were doing psychological counseling in accordance with the request for additional training. It was the team that had been in Darfur that rolled this out into the wider community in 16 days. And I'd like to quote from uh, Marcellina Priadi, who was the team leader for Nonviolent Peace Force in North Darfur. Quote, this shows how remarkable it is to see what nonviolent protection tools can achieve in such a short time frame, especially when getting creative across such huge distances and operational challenges. And she concluded, it just shows what a network of relations can really do. And that is how unarmed civilian peacekeeping has been working by working with people on the ground, creating relationships, building up teams, and if necessary, doing what's called interposition, where you actually put yourself in between conflicting parties, a time-honored practice which is now being systematized for the first time. And I believe that in the Ukraine, and similar groups are sending in protection teams around the Zaporizhia nuclear plant in Ukraine. Of course, a key place to prevent conflict from exploding. So moving on now, I want to share a resource with you from a good friend of ours, Mickey Kashtan, uh, originally from uh, Nonviolent Communication here in the Bay Area. And she has an article called On the Other Side of Separation, Individual and Collective Steps Towards a Post-Patriarchal Way of Living. And one of the reasons that I want to cite this article with you is it's from a group 
that I was unfamiliar with in a journal that I was unfamiliar with. It is quite remarkable how resources are becoming available now. So the group is called Pelican Web. It means a lot to us here on the West Coast where we see pelicans. And uh, the blog is called the Mother Pelican Blog. So one of the resources that we get news from is the Popular Resistance website, and they're setting up a school. Seems like it's uh, going around in the field these days. So they have a curriculum, as we do, and it's based on eight video lectures. And here's a quote from Erica Chenoweth, who appears in our film, teaches at Harvard University, is one of our foremost experts on nonviolent movements. She says, nonviolent social movements are a powerful means for preserving democracy and making societies address critical social problems. And she says, in addition, sometimes I think movements focus too much on doom and gloom. They spend too much time and energy reliving the injustices, the pain that they've endured. It gets heavy or serious. Here's the point I really want to emphasize. But doom and gloom doesn't energize an otherwise frightened or apathetic audience. Now, this point was very well made in a book called Breakthrough. That's two words. Breakthrough. From the Death of Environmentalism to the Politics of Possibility by Michael Schellenberger and Ted Nordhaus. Uh, I really think this is an important uh, observation for us to ponder and to see how we can strike that balance between negativity and idealism. In other words, to be realistic and positive at the same time. Now, I'd like to share an interesting angle with you that's developing in Israel. As I think almost all of us are aware, Prime Minister Netanyahu has made a move towards incorporating the Supreme Court of the land under the executive umbrella that is under his power. And uh, that has actually passed in the Knesset, in the Israeli parliament. And what it has led to is the largest public demonstrations that the country has ever seen in its 75 years of existence. And what's particularly interesting is that it has sparked a military crisis. The number of reservists, this is a force on which Israel depends for its military security, well, it just goes to show you if you depend on violence for security. But anyway, they depend on these reservists and the number of refusing reservists has now grown to be over 10,000. Now, this is interesting because we have a lot of refusal and dissidents going on in Russia also. So it leads one to think that maybe there's a crisis in militarism happening and the fastest way that that could be resolved positively is to raise consciousness about nonviolence. And now I'd like to bring us back to my old hometown, New York City, and specifically the Bronx. There's an organization there called the Bronx Anti-War Coalition. And what they did was successfully prevent U.S. Army recruiters from a student career fair. This happened back uh, on the 11th of June. 
The fair was hosted by a U.S. representative and was to take place at CUNY, as we called it, the City University of New York. This is in a primarily Dominican neighborhood called Washington Heights. So the co coalition organized an anti-recruitment demonstration because uh, the War College nearby is a popular choice for Bronx high school students. And as the, what they did was as the military recruiters approached the entrance of the fair, the demonstrators chanted, military recruiters out of CUNY and money for college, not for war. Now, uh, this is a very important sentiment. I don't know if it's well directed to be directed at the military recruiters, but after all, any audience, any platform will do. And more to their credit, the anti-war protesters presented resources on alternatives to military enlistments. Now, that is just so helpful because often students uh, graduating from high school see no alternative and enlist in the military, not because they like the military, but because they don't know what else to do. So they're talking about obtaining scholarships so they can study abroad for free, would be very attractive to students in the Bronx. And the students who were leaving the fair reported that the military recruitment table was empty. No one was showing interest. With the result, within 20 minutes, the military recruiters left the fair and did not return. Given what's going on here, we should also keep in mind the events unfolding in Atlanta, Georgia, where the Atlanta Police Foundation is proposing an urban warfare campus. It's generally known as Cop City, and there's a lot of protests going on there also. It is a very interesting, very intense development. But I want to move south a good bit now to Mexico because there's something happening there that's closer to home. I'll talk about both. In Mexico, a group of indigenous women in a community known as Yaqui succeeded in getting the government to declare a pipeline illegal which would have gone through their territory and spoiled their water supply and so forth. However, the next step was that the oil company was supposed to dismantle the pipeline, and they didn't do it. So the women got down there, cut up the pipeline, and sold it for scrap metal. Now that's the spirit. So closer to home, if you remember the Enbridge pipeline and Line 5, uh, I had thought that that was a closed issue, but it isn't over yet. And the Bad River Band of the Lake Superior Chippewa are charging $5 million in damages for the trespassing and ordering that the government gradually shut down part of its Line 5 pipeline in Wisconsin. And one sentiment that they quoted that I liked a lot was, we have everything we need to live life on this earth without Line 5, without corporations. And that reminded me of Gandhi's famous economic principle, there's enough in the world for everyone's need, there isn't enough for everyone's greed. And some economists have even enhanced that to say there isn't enough for anyone's greed. And I think we can sometimes see that playing out. 
Campaign Nonviolence is another group that we like to follow, CNV, and they have called for action to take place between September 21st through October 2nd, Gandhi's birthday, to sound the alarm on climate. They are collaborating with Elders Climate Action, with Backbone Campaign, and others, and they welcome your ideas if you have any options uh, in your community or as an individual that you can do to sound the alarm on climate disaster that is mounting. Now, here's a very interesting switch. Usually, we talk about Quakers and other groups going into prisons, but here is a group of prisoners starting a movement that's coming out of the prison. Let me explain. In a prison in Washington state, a group formed the Black Prisoners Caucus. That was 50 years ago, incidentally. And now there's the Black Prisoners Caucus in almost every prison in Washington state, including the women's facilities. So watching these uh, inmates from different gangs and geographical locations work together instead of fighting each other has been a powerful experience. It has shown me that if this work can be done in prison, it could be done in our communities. That was a quote from one of the people in the caucus, and you'll find that report, incidentally, on waging nonviolence. One final item for this report, which is not to say that there isn't a lot more going on, but keep an eye on the organization you may be familiar with from the Cold War days called Code Pink. They are being extremely active all over the country and have some wonderful opportunities for people to join and, and uh, disseminate. So thank you very much. Thank you for everyone who's doing nonviolent work in this world. And until next time, as our co-host Stephanie would say, take care of one another.